with me. We're going to be in uh, Romans today, Romans chapter 1, excuse me, chapter 12, verses uh, starting with verse 1. Um, we're going through, and at, at right now, if you are new here, we're, we've been through a revitalization process of going through trying to um, re-identify ourselves of, of where we are and, and who we are here at Mount Salem Baptist Church so that we might be able to better minister to the community. And one of the things that we did throughout that process was to come up with kind of like a tagline or just a, a sentence describing who we are and so that we might be able to reach out to people and, and cover what the, the ministry and the mission of a church really is, all right? So that statement's at the top of your worship uh, outline that you have with you this morning. That, the statement says, a Christ-like life inspiring many to believe. Now, as the revitalization team went through that, those words weren't put haphazardly put together. There are five functions of a church, and those words distinctively are, are put in there so that we can cover all those five functions of the church. So today we're going to be looking at Christ-likeness, which is the discipleship portion of what a function of a church is. You can go and you can read this in Acts chapter 2, what the five functions of a church are. It's discipleship, it's ministry, it's missions, it's worship, and uh, evangelism, all right? And so, and ministry, fellowship. So, when we look at these five functions, it's a description of who we are as the body of Christ and how we fully function as a body of Christ so that people might not only be able to come and to join the church through evangelism, but be grown up in the faith and mature in the faith so that we can go out and reach out, evangelize, and do ministry and missions out to others so that others might come in. It's the full function of the church. There's a lot of churches that you and I got, have probably encountered in our life that do some of the things of the function of the church very well. There are churches that see hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people evangelized or, or baptized every single year. There are lots of churches that grow up and send people out missionally. There's a church in the north side of Atlanta that will that this year will do over 150 different mission trips. Can you imagine 150 different, there are thousands of people that go to this church, but 150 different mission opportunities for people within that church in one year. That's three a week that, where they're sending out people all over the place, okay? So when we think about these things, there are sometimes when we do some of them very well, but the truth of the matter is we need to be doing all of them well or all of them in some semblance of form for us to be able to function. So today what we want to do is to break down our, our little uh, mantra here and, and take the first words of it, a Christ-like life. So we want to look at what it means to be Christ-like. So if we're disciples and followers of Christ, what does it mean to have Christ functioning and and flowing through our lives. So there's two things I want us to see out of the passage that we look at today in Rome, Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Now, chapter 12 is really distinct in the book of Romans. We're actually going through this in, on Wednesday nights. We haven't gotten there yet, but there's a therefore, okay? So every time we get a therefore statement in the book of Rome, he's, Romans, he's, he's summarizing what he's talked about before and then taking a next step out. You can find one of these in chapter 5. You're going to find one of these in chapter 8. And here's another one right here in chapter 12. So he's basically saying, therefore, since all these things that I've talked about so far in this, in this letter to you at the book at uh, the, the Church of Rome, then since these things, I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service to worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. 
So two things that are mentioned here. In verse 1, there's one thing we're going to cover today. And then in verse 2, we'll cover the second part of it. It says, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service to worship. The first thing that I want you to understand for us to be Christ-like in our lives is that you and I must be living sacrifices. Our lives must be about worship. Worship is not an event that happens one hour a week. Or if you want to, you can go to multiple worship services at different times and different places. You could go to one on Friday night. I'm sure there's some of those around here. Or on Saturday night or on Saturday, uh, Sunday morning, Sunday evening. They're, they're all the times where you can go to worship services. But the reality for us, if, it, if we can only encounter Christ in a worship service, we're in bad shape. Our job, our lives are to be living sacrifices. That's what this passage is calling us to. Paul says, so summarizing everything that I've already told you in this letter that I've written to you at the Church of Rome, now I want you to understand something. Your life is to be a living sacrifice. Now, a lot of us probably sit back and we think, a living sacrifice, what does that mean for me? I'm a, my life's already a sacrifice. If you could see my bank account, you'd know what kind of sacrifices I'm making. All right? So we, we think about the fact of all the stuff that we give up. Everybody thinks that the Christian faith is a bunch of do's and don'ts, and there's a lot of, a huge amount of sacrifice that goes into that. This is not what he's talking about. When we talk about a living sacrifice, we're talking about obedience. Obedience to what God has called us to. So God calls each of us to different things. So if we're going to be a fully functioning follower of Christ, we need to be obedient to what God is speaking to us about in our lives. So that's individualistic. That's something that where we have a personal relationship with God the Father, and we're looking every day of our life to engage Him in that, and so that we can find out where He would have us go directionally, what He would have us do. We think that we're that life, the Christian life, is about a bunch of do's. If we go do something, then we've accomplished something. If we accomplish something, then that's what matters. That's not what matters. Obedience is what the Lord desires from us. In fact, in 1 Samuel, it says obedience is greater than sacrifice. So if God is calling for us to be a living sacrifice and our life is to be about worshiping him it's about being obedient to his word so we must engage him all the time so as a disciple of christ and as worship is a part of who we are if we're going to be a living sacrifice that is a 24 7 365 endeavor in our lives it's not something where we just come and we have an experience and we encounter something and then we move on we're going to talk more about worship in, in a few weeks. So I'm not, I don't want to get really in-depth in that. I just want to give it to you this way so that you understand when he's calling us to be a living sacrifice here, he says, which is our spiritual service to worship, this is the way that we follow through in obedience to God. That's what he's trying to say here to us. It's our job, spiritually, to be obedient to what he calls us to. And what he's called us to is for our, our lives to be a living sacrifice. Is there anybody in here, <laughs> is there anybody in here that thinks that they give more than everybody else around them? Come on now, don't look at me like that. You're looking there going, I have to do everything around here, don't I? Don't you say that. All right. I, why, am I the one that has to do this all the time? Can you not 
pick up your own clothes? Can you not shut a door? Can you not do this? Am I all the one that's doing this all the time? All these different things that I have to do. What would you do without me? That's the way we look at it, right? Okay, that's the way I look at it in my life, all right? If none of you guys are going to fess up this morning, the, the altar's going to be open at the end of this worship service. Y'all need to come get right with Jesus. That's all I got to say. But I got issues, and we're going to talk about my issues today, all right? My issues is that a lot of times I think nobody else is doing this stuff but me. Why do I have to make all the sacrifice? Why am I the one that has to step out? Why am I the one that has to do all of these things? That's not an act of obedience. Is it? That's an act of whining. God has not called us to a life of whining. God has called us to a life of obedience. In fact, it says that this is our spiritual service to worship. We should want to do this. We should want to serve others spiritually in some way, shape, form, or fashion. But if a church says, we need a volunteer for this, immediately everybody starts going, guess they're talking to everybody else around here because I'm sure not doing that myself. But when we need something done, that should be, it shouldn't be that we even have to ask. We should have an awareness around us to be able to go, hey, you know what? I saw kids going back there. I bet they need somebody to go back there and work with those kids on a Sunday morning. So I can sacrifice to come to worship once every so often to go back there and do something like that. Oh, they're singing up there. I like to sing. I'd love to be a part of that. This is something where maybe I could do a special, or maybe I could do this or do that. See Elizabeth. I mean, it, these people do not have a corner on the market for these things. But we don't come to be in a relationship with God thinking that we need to go and serve. And, and that's a part of our culture today. I like to go on cruises never thought that I would have liked to have gone on cruises. We had a couple in our first church plant. They went on cruises all the time, and I said, man, that's just a crazy. I'm not getting on a boat. Then we went on one, and you know what? When you go on a cruise, let me tell you one thing. That the coolest thing about a cruise is everybody does everything for you. <laughs> Amen? Everybody, you don't have to cook anything. They clean your room like three times a day. It's like when you were at home with your parents or something, you know what I mean? They just came in and cleaned up behind you. You, you can like, look, let's mess this up and then go watch a show that they've got down here. And when we come back, this will all be fixed. Because that's what they do. I mean, there's no trash in your trash can. It's like you drop a piece of paper in and like an hour gone, it's magically gone. You can't leave your room and come back without it being somehow another way, you know, they've taken care of it. And I think that's the coolest thing. Now, look, I know they're charging me a tip at the end, but I gladly pay that tip because, you know what, they have taken care of me. Anything that I wanted or asked for, I could get. That's the coolest thing to me. We've lost this in culture. If you're old enough in here, you can remember pulling up to the gas station, and when you pulled up to the gas station, someone ran outside of the gas station and pumped your gas, right? Now you're lucky if you get the guy on the call button right there and he doesn't go, what's your problem? I can't operate the gas pump. Do I need to send somebody out there and show you how to pump your gas? It's, we've lost the service mentality. And because we've lost the service mentality and that of a servant, then we've lost, we've translated that from culture into the church. We don't come to church anymore thinking about how we might be a servant to be able to serve others, which is our sacrifice of worship. 
We don't come to church thinking about how we can be a living sacrifice. We come to church to see how we can be entertained or how we can be motivated or, or some pastor can, can you know, spiritualize us through either through the word or through his motivational speech that goes on and send me back out in the world so I'll be pumped up. We come to see what we can get. We don't come to give anymore. And that's what Paul is trying to say to us. Since I've told you all this other stuff in this book, which is a lot of theology if you go and read it, since you know what it means to have a relationship with God, and I've explained this all to you, therefore, your life is to be lived as a sacrifice for others. So sacrificially we give. Not only do we give financially, we give physically, we give emotionally, and we give spiritually. I don't know how to do something. Well, that's not an excuse. The reality is, is that we need to learn. Faith is all about stepping out of our comfort zone. We're to teach you and to help you and to guide you. Older women are supposed to take younger women along their side and teach them how to do things. Men are supposed to do the same thing, older men with younger men, to teach them, to find somebody that you can mentor, coach, whatever, bring alongside of you so that they might grow up in the faith as well. So this is our job. This is our spiritual act of worship. So worship for us is not a service where we come in and just sit and soak and hear words spoke to us and songs sung to us. Worship is an act. Worship is a part of our lives. So when we go through and we see what worship is later, we got to realize that the essentiality of that is discipleship. We're truly becoming a fully devoted follower of Christ through this act of sacrifice, this living sacrifice that we have. John 15 verses 12 through 14 and 16 and 17 says this, this is my commandment that you love one another just as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than one lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends. If you do what I command you, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit and that your fruit would remain so that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give to you. This I command you, that you love one another. So look, let's to summarize this up. This all starts with love. We can't love each other if we can't get along. This is never going to happen. So we have to have a love for one another. And then, what does it say there? We have to lay down our lives for our friends. We've got five ladies, four or five ladies, that gather every Wednesday because I know they love the joy of cooking. They sacrificially get here spend a lot of their own money. I think they do. I don't think they tell anybody that. I've seen what we've given for donations for the food, and I know sometimes that doesn't make up all of that. So they'll go out and buy the ingredients themselves, spend the time to do it, come here, and then serve and put it out here for everybody else to eat. So that on Wednesday nights, for us to be able to have Bible study and get people to come to church and have the holistic for family, because we know everybody's busy and on the go. We want to provide this as a service to other folks so that you can come here and eat on Wednesday night so that you can be a part of what we have going on here at the church. That's the whole point of that. That's living sacrifice right there. There are people who come in here every week 
clean this place so that it'll be clean when you get here. That's living sacrifice. That's worshiping throughout the week. That's doing whatever's necessary, whatever it takes to be able to, to do what's needed so that we can connect with people relationally. Us to, each, to them and them to the Lord. Living sacrifice. The second part of that, about it is in verse 2 of chapter 12. It says this, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. So the first part was about a living sacrifice. The second part is transformational living. This is the work part of it. So discipleship is worship, but then there is work work involved. It's not work that we just go do. It's work that when God speaks to us and tells us what our part in the sacrifice is, then we, through an act of obedience, go and do what he is calling for us to do. He gives us instructions. In other words, when you're sitting here on Sunday mornings and somehow, someway, God speaks to you in your heart and in your mind and goes, this is what I want you to do. You know it. You've had it happen to you in a church service before or maybe throughout the week. You should stop and talk to this person. You should buy the person's lunch behind you in line. You should do this. You should do that. And when we pass on that, we're disobedient. We're not following through. We're not acting upon what God has placed in our heart. But when we act upon it, that is following through. That is the work, doing the work that God has called us to do. Being the people of God that he has called us to be. This is not living in conformity to the world. So if today in culture we don't have a servanthood mentality anymore, what do you think the biggest way to make a difference in the world is to be a servant to others who are in the world? That's why I think for us, the words that we say don't mean as much as the things that we do. It's how we live that makes a difference to those who are around us. Because we can go and we can tell somebody that Jesus loves them. But if we show them the love of Jesus, that makes all the difference in the world. We can tell somebody that we're going to pray for them. But if we actually stop what we're doing and have prayer for them right there, that makes all the difference in the world. We can tell somebody that we care for them, but actually doing something to care for somebody makes all the difference in the world. I'm going to give a few people their examples around here. and I've, I've done some of this before, and I don't mean to call these folks out just to set them on a pedestal. This is just something that I've seen. There are people, some of you send cards. I've gotten cards this week. That's, that's wonderful. I appreciate, I want to tell all of you, I appreciate all the cards that I've gotten. You've actually taken time out of your day to stop and write things down for me because it was my birthday and to make me feel better. Took time to go down to the post office, spent money to buy a stamp, and mailed it to me. And in some cases, there were things inside the card, and I appreciate that greatly too. I appreciate your gifts. Some of you have the gift of, of encouragement. Some of you are having the gift of gifts, and you've given gifts to me, and I appreciate that. Some of you, like Marsha, will meet someone on the street, and you will stop and ask them, what, how can I pray for you? 
Marsha comes every Wednesday night with at least five or six people, and she can't remember the name, the last name of hardly any of them. This is someone I met in Walmart, and I asked them how I could pray for them, and this is what they told me. So guess what she's doing? And guess what we're doing? As part of her service of worship and her calling on her life, she brings that name, and we lift it up to the Father, and we don't have a clue who they are. And it's just a chance encounter. Bobby goes and cuts people's grass. Bobby does not stop working. Bobby works his job and then goes to about three or two, a couple of other people I know, cuts their grass, trims their bushes, and helps keep up their yard. The people that that can't do that stuff themselves. Bobby, are you a spring chicken? No. It would be very easy for Bobby to say, you know what, I've done all this stuff all my life. I've been working all week. I do not want to get on a lawnmower, or I do not want to pull out a weed eater, or I do not want to pull out an edger or trimmer and all the other stuff that goes along and do this. But he does it anyway. For those who can't do it themselves, the Bible tells us the purest form of religion is to what? Take care of the widows and the orphans. Those who can't take care of themselves. Societally, we go, get a job. Figure out some way to make it happen. Pull your boot, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. The church goes and serves. The, the church helps out and does things for others who can't do it for themselves. And shouldn't be asking, well, when are they going to get this right so they can start taking care of themselves? Galatians says we're to bear our burdens and to bear those of the brothers, the brethren around us. This is transformational. This is transformational living. This is not conformity into this world. This is not doing what everybody else does and just passing the buck on down the road. This is stepping out in faith so that our life might have meaning to others who are around us. This is how God uses us to connect. There's not a single solitary word that I've ever said in 20 years of pastoral ministry that has has caused somebody to come to salvation. Honestly believe that. The Holy Spirit, working through what I said and impacting somebody else's heart and life, has caused many people to come to know Christ. But there are there's nothing nothing that I have said that has done that. All I am is a mouthpiece. Ask my family. Never shuts up. It's always just a mouthpiece. Know your part. How do you know your part? You know your part through living sacrifice. Coming and to worship and being a part of a worshipful life. That's a living sacrifice. Knowing what to do, what your part is, and then going out and doing it. This is what God has called me to do. So I talk. And then God takes that, uses that for His kingdom. Some of you mail cards. God takes that, uses that for His kingdom. Some of you pray. God takes that, breaks that, 
uses it for his kingdom. Some of you have financial gain and can have the ability to give more than other people give. And God takes that, breaks that, uses that for his glory. Are you getting this? Every single one of us has a part. Hands and feet. We try to look at some of the parts that we think are the most important and prioritize them. And I'm telling you, God doesn't do any of that. In fact, as soon as we get through with these verses right here, and we're not going to be covering them today, but immediately if you go and you read, he starts talking about all the gifts. So why is he telling us this before he talks about the gifts? He's telling us this before he talks about the gifts because the gifts without this mean nothing. Lots of people can give lots of money. Lots of people can be paid to serve you. Lots of people can do lots of things. But it's the fact that we're doing them because God has told us, instructed us, and through an act of obedience, follow through with that, that we become a fully devoted follower of Christ, that he uses our life to impact others. Why don't you think about one thing? What happens in your new car when you go to Walmart and you come out after you've had it for just a few weeks and months and you realize that somebody has allowed the buggy or their door to hit your car and you see the dent? look at that and you go, they have what? They have destroyed my brand new car. I, I should have never parked here. Why, why is that dent so evident? It's just, sometimes they're this small. How about that pebble that you've gotten that's come up onto your windshield and put that, I got three of those right now in my truck. I've had my truck a year. 18 months, I got three cracks in my windshield. Why do we notice those little things? Because they stick out. Have you ever thought about how big of a dent your life can make? That's what impact is. How big of an impact, how big of a dent is your life going to make? Because I want to tell you something. You notice every dent. Every ding that is on your truck or vehicle, it is evident. You see it. You walk around it and you go, where did that come from? My daughter probably did that. <laughs> Somebody's been driving my truck messed it up. We notice all of that, but we think that our life is not noticeable. But our life is noticeable. If we will allow it to be impactful and leave a dent. Now, there are people around us that leave crater-sized dents. God uses them mightily. But all dents are noticed. Because we notice them. It's the same true for the world. You may not think that you're having that big of an impact. But if you will just go out and do, in Christ's likeness, what God has called you to do, you will Lauren, do you realize how you serve people in the hospital can make all the difference in the world in their lives? It can make all the difference. Susan, do you realize how you teach children can make all the difference for their lives and their day? 
because they may not be getting the love that you give them as a teacher at home. They may not be getting the care and the touch. Tamara, my wife, has had people come to church after she has served them in the hospital because of the care that she gave. In fact, she had lunch with somebody this week that came because she took care of their mother. And their whole family ended up in the church. From serving them as a nurse in the hospital. That's a dent. I just stand up and talk in front of people. You guys out there every day can make such an impact in somebody's life. don't even see it. I don't see it. We think it's meaningless, but it's meaningful. God says none of this returns void. None of it. So, if we want to be a, a disciple of Christ, our life must be lived sacrificially. And because of its lived sacrificially, it will be transformational to someone else and to us. 22 years ago, I sold nuts and bolts. That's what I did for a living. Pretty, pretty sweet, huh? Sold nuts and bolts, threaded rod, concrete anchors, all that great stuff. It's the job everybody dreams of. God called me out of that into this. That's what he does. The act of obedience was leaving that to do this. <laughs> I told Pam, sorry, Dawn. I told Dawn this morning downstairs in my first ministry job. Now, I was working at the church by vocation, so I had a full-time job and I had a part-time job as a student minister part-time job at the church was paying me $12,000 a year. So I was making $12,000 a year on top of my other job to, to work in the church. So when I stepped out from my full-time job to go into work in full-time ministry, I became not only youth minister, but I came, became children, youth, college, and young adult minister at my church. So basically, if you were 35 years of age and under, I was in charge of I got $28,000 a year to do that. Which was half of what I was making at my full-time job. That's a sacrifice to go from $60,000 a year to under thirty. You talking about somebody that had some conversations with their wife like, we're not going to be able to eat. We can drive Where's the closest grocery store so that we don't spend any extra gas with three young children? It causes us sometimes to have to really back up the bus of what we think we should have or the way we should live. But the truth is, I don't know how my life would have impacted so many others 
been impacted by so many others selling nuts and bolts and threaded rod and concrete aprons for the last 20 years. We made a lot more money. A lot less stress. This is what God does. God uses us. I'll close with this. Paul goes on to say later, go read 2 Timothy. That's the last book that he ever, the, the last of the books that he wrote. At the end of 2 Timothy, last chapter, last chapter of 2 Timothy, he's going, I am a vessel being poured out. How do you think that feels? Any of y'all know what that means? feels like? Where you just feel like someone has turned you upside down and you've got no more to give, but you're just being poured out onto the ground? I ain't helping nobody. Just being, Paul says, I'm being poured out. It was the end. He knew it was the end. But he wasn't going, I need to cut this back and save what I have. He's like, I am being poured out to the very end. This is a picture that we need to walk away from this day with. God wants to pour us out. Hold back. Don't set in your mind that I can only go this far because it's all that I'm capable of doing. Because then you won't ever go far enough. Sit back, let God give. Just be willing to be a living sacrifice and be obedient. See what God will do. Amen? Let's go to the Lord. Father, I thank you so much for this day, for your word. Father, I thank you for people that were willing this morning to get up and come here and to practice together so that they might lead us in worship. I thank you so much this morning for people who are willing to get up and to come here and to teach Sunday school classes and to, to watch children and to um, hand out worship folders and to make coffee for, for people before anybody ever showed up here. Just all the little things that go with people that prepared this place for worship this Lord, I pray that you'll bless their life this week. For all those who've sacrificed.